My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Holly Anderson and Rudy Reimer. Anyone who pays any attention at all to climate and environmental justice issues has heard about the big conflicts. We all know about the brewing confrontation between those who are working to extract every last drop of bitumen from the tar sands on the one side, and those of us who think that respecting indigenous sovereignty and not burning the planet to the ground might be a better plan on the other. We've probably all heard as well about various battles around pipelines that are meant to carry extracted fossil fuels to market, including Enbridge Line 3, the Dakota Access Pipeline, Enbridge Line 9, Keystone XL, Northern Gateway, and of course the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline. These big picture struggles would go nowhere, however, if it was not for smaller localized efforts. And as important as these local struggles are, we don't always hear about them, which means we aren't always able to act and support in the ways that they need. In its Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion proposal, Texas-based corporation Kinder Morgan seeks to invest something in excess of $7 billion to add a new pipeline next to an existing one that stretches from Alberta to the British Columbia coast in order to massively increase capacity and enable pumping not crude oil but tar sands bitumen diluted by chemicals. The pipeline has approval from the National Energy Board and the Trudeau Liberals at the federal level and is supported by Christy Clark's Liberals in B.C. But Clark's government is expected to fall at any time, indeed it may happen between me recording this and you hearing it, and be replaced by an NDP Green coalition that is very much opposed to the pipeline. Mayors and municipalities along the route are staunchly against, public opinion in BC is opposed, grassroots opposition is vocal and growing, and many First Nations whose territory would be affected have made it quite clear that their options for stopping the pipeline are far from exhausted. One of the lesser-known fronts in the struggle against the Kinder Morgan pipeline is coming from residents of Burnaby Mountain, where the pipeline terminates in a storage facility or tank farm. The current facility has 13 massive tanks, but the expanded version would have many, many more. The diluted bitumen would be stored there and piped through the mountain and onto tankers docked on the other side. Burnaby Mountain was a focus for the larger movement against the Kinder Morgan pipeline a few years ago, including civil disobedience and multiple arrests, when the company was doing some preparatory testing. The current opposition by residents, however, is focused mostly on the tank farm. The residential community towards the top of Burnaby Mountain is in a bit of a peculiar position. Simon Fraser University, or SFU, is located on the mountain and owns quite a bit of land there. In the 1990s, the university decided that they would develop a source of income by leasing land higher up the mountain for residential development under the banner of a land management trust called Universe City. That's spelled with a C. It's currently home to around 5,000 residents, some connected to SFU, but many not, and it continues to grow. They are technically residents of the city of Burnaby, but are physically a bit separate from the rest of the municipality and are often not fully considered when it comes to city services and city politics. 
Yet SFU and the Land Management Trust, despite their connection to the community, are not at all democratically accountable to the residents. The tank farm is located relatively close to the university itself and is actually right beside the only intersection that lets people get in and out of the residential community higher up the mountain. The risk of leaks and the risk of fire rank high among the residents' concerns and fear of having no way to escape should a disaster strike. Indeed, at least one study has found that the probability of a catastrophic event at the tank farm would increase significantly after the expansion. The Burnaby Fire Department has been quite clear that they are not equipped to deal with a major fire there, and emergency preparedness plans have been either kept secret or seem to be inadequate. Holly Anderson is a philosophy professor at SFU. Rudy Reimer is a member of the Squamish Nation and is a professor of archaeology and First Nations studies at SFU. Both are residents of Burnaby Mountain. They're part of a small group of residents who have started meeting, sharing their concerns about the tank farm expansion, and taking action. Some of that action so far has involved doing some research to find out exactly what's going on, as many important aspects of the proposal and the process have not been widely communicated. Some of it has involved building relationships with other small groups that have also become concerned, including campus groups. They've already held a rally bringing students and residents together to oppose the expansion. They're trying to work through institutional channels, including the local government in Burnaby and the faculty senate at SFU. But their big focus at the moment is raising awareness among residents and people on campus in preparation for more visible mobilizing once school resumes in the fall. Anderson and Reimer speak with me about the Burnaby Mountain community, about the larger fight against the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline, and about the work that they're doing to oppose the risk posed by the pipeline and tank farm expansion to Burnaby Mountain residents. We spoke by Skype from Simon Fraser University. My name is Holly Anderson. I moved up here to Burnaby Mountain eight years ago when I got a job as a philosophy professor here at Simon Fraser University. And originally I moved here because I didn't know the area at all and thought it was safest to live close to campus. And then it turns out there's this really great community of people who live up here and we really like it. So we're still here eight years on. And the fact that I'm a philosophy professor, so sort of think about things for a living, including issues related to democratic governance, and the fact that I had this really great community up here led to some of the work that's being done within this small group. Burnaby Mountain is particularly impacted, and a bunch of us who know each other because we have kids around the same age started talking and then talking more and then getting a little more organized about it. My name is Rudy Reimer. My Squamish Nation ancestral name is Yonks. Similar to Holly, my wife and I moved up here in 2010. We thought we would rent for a year to see what it was like living up here on Burnaby Mountain and close to campus. We ended up renting for two years because we liked it. And then late in the second year, a place two doors down from us came up for sale, which was a good opportunity because my wife was pregnant. So we settled into there and we really enjoy the community. We've witnessed it grow. We like our neighbors. It's a good place to live. I teach, just got my tenure here at SFU in the Departments of Archaeology and First Nation Studies, particularly in First Nation Studies. This issue of Kinder Morgan and the tank farm that is very close to us here on the mountain is central to First Nations issues. So for me, I have concerns about this at many different levels. But mostly today, it's as a resident of the university and the safety issues that we share in the community that 
haven't really been noticed all that much in broader media and discussions about that particular aspect of the project and the entire project itself. The Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion was proposed because Kinder Morgan bought out the previous owner of an existing pipeline that was constructed back in the 1950s. It's quite a small pipeline. It pipes actual oil. I believe it's had a fairly safe record, but there was just this past summer a grass fire at the tank farm. We didn't find out about this until a few days later, and through looking through the media and other sources of information, we found out that Kinder Morgan evacuated their staff, but failed to inform anyone else in the surrounding neighborhood down below the mountain or up here at University and SFU. Another thing about the proposed expansion is it will not be piping refined oil. It will be piping raw bitumen, which is an entirely different scenario. Within that bitumen, there's also sand. Sand, of course, when you move it, is corrosive in nature and has been shown elsewhere with similar pipelines. There are ruptures and leaks, and there are serious issues in the tank farms that house this crude substance before it's loaded onto ships to be uh, taken overseas. So the expansion in this tank farm, yeah, the current one, it's been there for a while. Kinder Morgan points to go, well, look, it's been safe. But the differences between refined oil in the existing pipeline and what is proposed for the new expansion, it's not as safe and it just blows my mind that it got approved. The whole project itself has a whole bunch of different parts to it. A lot of people have heard about the tar sands or the oil sands in Alberta, and then there's the pipeline connecting the sands from Alberta all the way out here, and then there's concerns about the tankers on the water, so the oil tankers that would be taking it away. And a lot of those have been the focus of discussion at the federal level and at the British Columbian level, but there's also the connecting bits. So the part that happens on Burnaby Mountain is the end of the pipeline terminates at these storage facilities that are on the south side of Burnaby Mountain. They're going to drill and put a pipe through underneath Burnaby Mountain and then build an expanded terminal on the north side of Burnaby Mountain where it hits water. So they will be storing the diluted bitumen on one side. They're going to triple the tank capacity compared to its current size. And then they're going to put it under the mountain and then put it to water onto tanks on the other side. So I've seen a lot of discussions about what will happen in case of a pipeline rupture or, you know, we're going to have a world-class spill management on the water. But nobody's been talking about things like, you know, what happens if there's a fire at this tank farm? So as Rudy mentioned, there was a fire at the tank farm. And when I went to the Kinder Morgan information session, their safety officer told me, oh, yeah, what they will do is they'll get out their firefighting gear and just put out the grass fire if that happens. And he hadn't even heard that there had been a grass fire nor that all they had done was just evacuate their people in case anything went wrong because it was too dangerous to leave them there. And then they left Burnaby Fire Department to deal with the issue itself. Burnaby Fire Department has gone on record any number of times saying that they do not have the firefighting capacity for carbon-based fires. If there is a fire at any of these tanks, Burnaby Fire cannot put it out. It was only because there was a lawsuit forcing Kinder Morgan to disclose their firefighting plan that it finally came out. They were trying to say that it was proprietary information. And when it finally came out, it was essentially call Burnaby Fire and do what they tell you to do. So right now, there just is no firefighting capacity. And the concern that we're trying to raise is there is going to be this tank farm full of this incredibly toxic substance 
that has different kinds of flammable properties than the stuff that's currently being stored there. We don't have the firefighting capacity even for the stuff that's currently being stored there, but it's going to get a lot worse when they put diluted bitumen there. SFU, my employer, had commissioned a safety risk assessment, and they said that this tank farm expansion is going to take us from a 1 in 1 million chance of a catastrophic event at the tank farm to a 1 in 2,000 chance of a catastrophic event at the tank farm. And as a philosopher, I reason with probability, I teach probability, I teach critical thinking. A lot of people don't understand how bad that is as a probability of a catastrophic event, but I sort of take it to be part of my job that I, you know, you, you really see how bad this is and how much danger you and your colleagues and your students and your neighbors are being put in. And maybe situate this a little more clearly for listeners in the local context, in terms of the community and the space. So one of the really key things is that there is only one intersection that controls access to the entire mountaintop area. So there are two roads that come up Burnaby Mountain. One comes up from the Gillardy area and one comes up from Hastings, but they meet in one intersection. There's this great SFU sign right there at the intersection. Sometimes there's bears that hang out there. They have deer. We've got a, a nice little wilderness reserve that's around the base of the mountain. But that single intersection controls access to the entire mountain. So if you're getting up or down the mountain, you have to go through that intersection. That intersection is also directly above and downwind of the tank farm. And so if you look through the trees as you're driving up the road, you can sort of see these big green tanks. When I first saw those, I thought they were like sewage treatment plants or something like this. But it turns out, no, they are storage tanks that were built in the 1950s. They wouldn't meet current safety standards. So the existing 13 tanks have been grandfathered in under an older safety code. And part of the reason Kinder Morgan is very keen to locate the tank farm right here is then they don't have to build 13 tanks up to contemporary safety code. They can keep using the old tanks that are not up to contemporary safety code. So what's going to happen is that the entire area right up to that single intersection is going to be packed full with tanks storing the diluted bitumen. And they're going to be much, much closer to each other than the current tanks are. And they're going to be right up against the intersection. And so if anything happens at that tank farm, then the intersection right there is impassable. And that means there's literally no roads on or off the mountain. So there's about 5,000 people who currently live in the university area. And it should be noted, it's sort of a branch of Burnaby. So most of the people who live there are actually not associated with SFU. And it's supposed to go up to about 10,000 when they finish the housing development. I think SFU has 6,000 faculty and staff, 8,000 graduate students, and it's got like 23,000 undergraduates, any number of whom are up here on any given day. And depending on what time of day it is, there could be somewhere like 30,000 people behind that single intersection on top of Burnaby Mountain. We have a weird situation in this, essentially a small town on the other side of Burnaby Mountain where sort of nobody's really in charge of us or representing us at this point in time. There's kind of a failure of democracy going on with respect to the university area. So some backstory, Simon Fraser University, a while back, it had some land over on that side of the mountain that was just sort of wilderness. And it wanted to lease this out as a way of generating revenue for the university. So it put together something called the University with a C, trust. And the trust is sort of an extension of SFU with some mandates about different kinds of environmental and social sustainability while leasing out the parcels of land in such a way as to bring money back to SFU. And so technically we fall under the city of Burnaby as far as political jurisdiction. However, when you look at the things that Derek Corrigan says about the tank farm. And he is the mayor of Burnaby. 
every time I find a quote from him talking about it, he's always worried about the neighborhoods below the tank farm. And he's very careful to not say the neighborhoods around the tank farm. He's talking about the neighborhoods below the tank farm. And I cannot get him to talk about the neighborhood above the tank farm. So the one that's, as it were, most impacted, the one that's cut off with this noose of the intersection. And SFU similarly talks about, you know, the SFU community as if it were the entire mountaintop area. And there's some sense in which, okay, I'm SFU community because I work here. But at the same time, I have two kids and they are not SFUs. And a whole bunch of my neighbors have nothing to do with SFU one way or another and really aren't well represented then by SFU. And what we found out is that Kinder Morgan has been going through, for instance, the university trust as a sort of representative of the community. But the university trust is just a land management organization in charge of leasing out the parcels of land to developers who then go on and build these complexes. And it's really disturbing to find out that Kinder Morgan has sort of been treating a land management corporation as if they were in charge of the people who lived on the land. So there's this problem in general. So we have it for like clearing the snow off the sidewalks. Nobody knows who's in charge of it, so it just doesn't get done. And, you know, for snow on the sidewalks or for leaves or replacing the streetlights, okay, it's kind of annoying. But for the tank farm, this is like a really big issue that nobody is really speaking up on behalf of our own interests. And how did residents of the Burnaby Mountain community initially get together and start working on this issue? This issue has been around since it was initially proposed. A number of faculty, students, grad students, staff heard about this, started following it in the media. But then as things escalated, there were protests right at the base of the mountain while they were doing some borehole testing. It really started getting a lot more attention. And I think it's due to faculty like myself and Holly, who have been talking about this in our classes to raise awareness to our students, to the broader public, that this is a serious issue, but also within our community, just running into each other at our local market or a local restaurant or just in the halls here on campus. And so many of us have felt up until recently kind of isolated. It's like, is it just me concerned about this? We just sort of formally start organizing this within the the last month or two. The last couple of months, yeah. There was a protest in April. Yeah. But I think it's going to grow because as this ramps up, I think over the summer, you know, people have more free time. Maybe they can use that time to educate themselves, make some decisions about what they're concerned about. For me, it just came out of the conversations that you have with people when you're sitting around on the playground and your kids are playing. You just talk and you talk. And I post a number of rants on Facebook about this sort of thing, including the, you know, the issue of democratic governance and how a land management organization is not well positioned to speak for the people who live on that land. That's exactly the sort of thing that the philosopher in me can go on a rant. My neighbors who are not philosophically inclined, all of them are very patient and listen to me go on. And slowly things start to come together and people have a great range of skills sets too. So for instance, Teresa Burley-Hughes is running our Twitter account because she's really good at that sort of stuff. We've got someone else who works in public relations. Essentially, one of the meetings was just sitting around my kitchen table with a bottle of wine, planning what we were going to do and having a very fun time. And then once you know there's a few people who are involved, then other people who are concerned about it have started talking to those people saying, hey, just let us know if there's anything we can do. So we're in the phase of building everyone's awareness of this and trying to brainstorm and come up with some options for what we're going to do when it starts getting more serious, say, towards the end of the summer and in the fall. 
one of the things I'd like to plan is here on campus, we have thousands of people. And one of the things I would like to do, and I see one of the responsibilities of grassroots organizations and movements is for it to build, to create awareness. Is one of the things I want to do is have information sessions, just setting up tables here on campus, creating pamphlets myself and maybe one or two other people sitting at the table to go, you know, here's the information. If you want to know more, come back and talk to us. Doing this, as Holly mentioned, in social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, really reaching out to people in our community and beyond for support. So I think as we move forward, we're going to look towards other people in our community to join. And as Holly alluded to, we all bring different and unique skill sets to the table. What's really nice is there are a number of groups on campus and off campus who didn't realize that other groups were also worried about this. <laughs> so one of the first things that started happening was talking to the Simon Fraser Student Society, so the undergraduate student organization here, who had just become aware of what was going on and were really scandalized by it. Like they felt really betrayed by SFU that this level of danger was going in and yet SFU is acting as if nothing is happening. They're still taking in students as if everything were normal. Like, shouldn't we be in emergency mode or something like this? And so we coordinated a community and SFSS rally on this particular point to sort of show them that they weren't, as it were, all by themselves and to show the community members that they're also not all by themselves. So you said your main priority at the moment is raising awareness of the issue among residents and among people on campus. What kinds of things do you hope that the group and other people can do once you've raised awareness to respond to the threat? that the expanded pipeline and the expanded tank farm pose to people who live and work on Burnaby Mountain? One of the things I'd like to see happen is I want to contact our various representatives from SFU University Trust or SFU Trust, the city of Burnaby, maybe even someone from Kinder Morgan to come down and have a panel discussion to go, okay, how can this be resolved? Or if it can't be resolved, what are the next steps? Just to start, we want some clarification on, you know, the decision making about the safety, about what alternatives we have if this does go on to see completion. I don't want it to be built at all, but if it's going to happen, what are our options? And really, no one is giving us that information. A lot of the work over the summer is going to be the kind of boring follow-up work that I feel like the, the things that I do at work and other things that I'm doing for activism too, which is that this issue has been raised in formal contexts through the Faculty Senate at SFU, and now we need to keep following up on that with respect to the people who are supposed to be making things happen there. A number of issues have been raised with the University Trust, and now we have to sort of keep following up with that in order to make sure that something goes through there. We've already made contact with the city of Burnaby and with the fire department, but we need to follow up to keep this alive. And we've already made contact with the student society, but they turn over every year and they just had an election. So now there's a new crop of students that we need to talk to. So I think there's some plans for the fall in particular. That's when people need to know about this because students deserve to be notified of this. And so making sure that they know that in and of itself sort of brings some things forward. So for instance, I've contacted Scotiabank. There's only one bank that is up here on the mountain and we have our mortgage through them and a couple of other accounts. 
Most of my neighbors, I think, have Scotiabank mortgages, but they're one of the funding organizations that Kinder Morgan has approached. And I've let them know, hey, you know, it would be really great if you decided to stand by your community and not support this, but it would also be really terrible and I'm willing to move my mortgage and all of my other financial instruments if you do go ahead and do it. And all of the new students who want to come start accounts with you in the fall, that might be a really great time to just stand out with some signs on the sidewalk and let them know, one, about the project, and two, about Scotiabank's participation in this project. Those are the sorts of things that we're laying the groundwork for now by following up on all of the contacts that we've had already. We're already in the stage, not just, I think, of building awareness, but in connecting different groups that have been acting separately. And when you connect the different little groups that were acting separately because they all had independent concerns, I think that's when a grassroots movement really gets its momentum. So I feel like we're gearing up for something really big and really awesome and something that's got some prospects to be genuinely efficacious. Part of what's going to start happening is a coordination of more effective forms of protest. And I think getting it on the agenda of people who are in the city of Burnaby for the province of British Columbia and at the federal level, once we get this particular tank farm issue onto the national radar more, then it's so objectively a bad location that it kind of speaks for itself. So getting more awareness will in and of itself do a lot. And there's a lot of people who are gearing up to do some protesting and having discussions about, you know, who's going to get arrested and what you're going to do. I mean, when there's a one in 2000 chance that you're going to have to evacuate your kids in the middle of the night and you know that it might be on trails that are covered in snow and you've got hypothermia risks. When you realize how many people would just be left up here to roast in the smoke, you just get a lot more serious about the things that you're willing to do to stop this. The entire area here is actually on unceded Coast Salish territory. So it's the, what is it, the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish unceded territory. And there is, in fact, this group, I think it's called the Raven Trust, that are putting together a collective First Nations lawsuit against the entire project. And I see the work that our group is doing as sort of, you know, we're, we're not replacing that or in competition with that, but we're, one, very grateful that they're willing to do that, but then, two, sort of supplementing it with us putting our own pressures on for this particular part of the project. So a lot of the kids up here are aware of what's going on. And a number of them that I've talked to who are sort of grade school age feel really frustrated. Like, this is a really bad idea and this is really dangerous and this is where they live and why can people let this happen? And they feel really kind of powerless about it. And so one of the things that situating our work with respect to this larger project can do is they can see what they're doing as tying into the stuff that they're learning about in school. So my daughter has proposed she wants to have a bake sale as a fundraiser so that we can donate to the Raven Trust legal expenses. And it's going to be, you know, 50 bucks. But it is the thing that she can do that will make her feel like she's pulling her weight in terms of helping out with this. As Holly mentioned, there are numerous groups who have their own individual concerns, but as grassroots movements happen, groups of people come together under shared mutual interest. And we're going to see that, I think, grow to a large mass of people that will start here locally. But as we get word out about this more, I think we'll see growing support elsewhere, not just here in the lower mainland of British Columbia, hopefully across the country. You have been listening to my interview with Holly Anderson and Rudy Reimer. They're residents of Burnaby Mountain in British Columbia, and they've been talking about the growing mobilization among residents to oppose the expansion of the nearby tank farm that is one element of Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline project. To learn more about their work, follow No Tank Farm on Twitter.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Your